Welcome to the College Investor Audio Show, where we talk about the biggest issues impacting millennial money, from student loan debt to side hustles to building wealth. We will show you how to get out of debt so that you can build real wealth for the future. Hi, welcome to the College Investor Audio Show. So glad you're a part of this. Today we take a look at undermatching. Maybe you've heard of this term. And also, is it just a myth? All right, so some academically talented, low-income students do not apply for admission to selective colleges, even though they're likely to be admitted. Huh. Low-income students are half as likely to enroll in selective colleges as compared with high-income students with similar grades and test scores. This is called undermatching. These students end up at less selective colleges, such as lower-cost public schools and community colleges, or don't enroll in any college whatsoever. Public policy advocates have claimed that very selective colleges are more affordable for low-income students. Imagine that, despite the higher cost of attendance. For example, Matthew M. Chingos wrote in a Brookings Institution article, For low-income students, these colleges will generally cost them and their families less than a less selective institution with a lower sticker price but fewer resources for financial aid. But is this really true? Does generous financial aid make selective colleges more affordable than lower-cost colleges? And do low-income students at these colleges pay less than their counterparts at less expensive schools? Or are selective colleges just trying to shift blame for their failure to enroll more low-income students and provide them with sufficient financial support? Huh. Let's take a look at undermatching at selective colleges. We have a table that would be way too confusing to read on a podcast, but it shows the percentage of undergraduate students receiving federal Pell Grants and the percentage who are low-income students at the 25 most selective colleges. And this is based on admissions rates. So the table is based on 2019 data from the Integrated Post-Secondary Education Data System. Mouthful, the IPEDS for short. I'm just going to touch on a couple of these. Like Stanford, for example, admissions rate is just 4.3%. They're the most selective in the country. The percent federal Pell Grant recipients are 17%. And check, take a look at the percent of low income, which is under 30,000. 20%. Admissions rate 4.3. Low income percentage 20%. Pomona College just enrolls 7.4% admissions rate. The percent of federal Pell Grant recipients is at 21% and 35% low income, which is um, under $30,000. Amazing. That's just two I selected from there kind of randomly. You can take a look at the other 25 schools as well at thecollegeinvestor.com, just right inside of this article. Most of these colleges are below average in their enrollment of low-income students and federal Pell Grant recipients, although there's still a significant variation in the enrollment rates. It's very interesting. Here are some of the advantages of very selective and less selective colleges. Here's the criticism of undermatching. It often asserts that the affected students miss out of key advantages of enrolling at a more selective college, such as higher graduation rates. The most selective colleges claim several important advantages. Better quality education, of course. The most selective colleges offer a more challenging academic environment that can transform the lives of their students. 
lower cost. Although the most selective colleges charge higher tuition and fees, they also offer some generous financial aid that may reduce the net price of the college. Better outcomes. Students are more likely to graduate from college and to graduate on time. They are more likely to get a job after graduation and earn a higher salary, in part because of the better career networks. However, the less selective colleges attended by talented low-income students also claim significant advantages as well. Undermatching is not necessarily a bad thing. Better quality education, these colleges provide more frequent, personal interaction with faculty. Talented students are less likely to experience imposter syndrome, where they kind of feel like they don't belong and shouldn't have been admitted anyway. Lower cost. Of course, these colleges charge lower tuition and fees, leading to lower net price, even with less generous financial aid. A little bit closer to home, too. You know, going to college closer to home avoids the cost of traveling to a college and then living in a dorm or residence hall. These students often remain available to help their families while they are enrolled in college. So, the trade-off between the most selective colleges and less selective colleges is not just a matter of whether the student wants to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond. Are selective colleges more affordable? Let's take a look at this. Undermatching is caused, at least in part, by differences in college affordability. The most selective colleges are not necessarily less expensive than less selective colleges on a net price basis, just in part because of they may involve more debt. The net price is the difference between total college costs and gift aid, like grants and scholarships. The net price is the discounted sticker price, the amount the family will have to pay from savings, income, and loans to cover college costs. A higher net price correlates with higher debt at graduation. The prospect of having to borrow more for their education than their parents earn in a year can have a chilling effect on college enrollment by low-income students. Middle and high-income students don't like debt, but it doesn't usually stop them from enrolling in college. For low-income students, on the other hand, debt aversion goes beyond a mere dislike to a palpable fear of debt that influences college-going behavior. If enrolling in a very selective college involves more debt, Low-income students are more likely to enroll at a lower-cost college that yields less debt. It's as simple as that. The high sticker price at some colleges can discourage some low-income students from applying, even if the net price is lower. Sticker shock stops them from applying. This is a key problem with the high-cost, high-aid model. Similarly, application fees stop some students from even applying in the first place, even when fee waivers are available. Very few colleges meet the full demonstrated financial need of low-income students. Demonstrated financial need is the difference between the annual cost of attendance and the expected family contribution, EFC. Most of the colleges that claim to meet full need do so by including student loans in the financial aid packages. Student loans must be repaid, usually with interest, and do not cut college costs. Unmet need is the amount by which a student's financial need exceeds the grants and scholarships awarded to the student. The average unmet need for federal Pell Grant recipients is thousands of dollars higher at very selective colleges than at less selective colleges. This is money that low-income students do not have and are unable or unwilling to borrow. We have two more tables. 
and they're based on data from NPSAS 16 and show the percentage of students with unmet need and the average unmet need among these students. The first table shows data for just federal Pell Grant recipients, and you can see all colleges across the nation, percent with unmet need, 97%. Bachelor's degree programs, 98%. Let's take a look at very selective colleges. The percent of unmet need, 96%. Average unmet need there, more than $15,000. Community colleges, however, have a percent with unmet need at 95% and an average unmet need of around $7,500. So the table shows that average unmet need among Pell Grant recipients is more than $6,100 higher at very selective four-year colleges as compared with open admissions four-year colleges, $3,500 higher than at public four-year colleges, and $8,400 higher than at community colleges. Then there's a second table you can look at at thecollegeinvestor.com that shows data for low-income students with Family Adjusted Gross Income, or AGI, under $50,000. And that table shows that just among low-income students, average unmet need is more than $10,600 higher at very selective four-year colleges than at open admissions four-year colleges. Thus, federal Pell Grant recipients and low-income students can save thousands of dollars a year by enrolling at less selective and community colleges. Even colleges with generous no-loans financial aid policies may have a higher net price according to the federal definition because they substitute their own definition of financial need for awarding their own financial aid funds. Many have a minimum student contribution or summer work expectation even for students with an expected family contribution, or EFC, of zero. A minimum student contribution or summer work ex expectation sets a floor on the EFC and a cap on the amount of federal aid a student can receive. Ugh. Now, this can make these colleges more expensive than a local public or community college, which relies on the federal definition of financial need. So these colleges say that students can cover the minimum student contribution through work during the summer or student loans. But low-income students are already working during the summer just to put food on the table for the family and really can't qualify for private student loans. Thus, many low-income students are unable to bridge this gap. They can't afford these colleges. Low-income students often face an, an admit-deny situation at the most selective colleges, where the college, they admit them, but then deny them the financial aid they need to be able to afford to attend the college in the first place. So the colleges don't provide enough financial aid to make their institutions truly affordable to low-income students. Man, the differences in the net price at very selective and less selective colleges demonstrate that very selective colleges are indeed more expensive, thereby providing low-income students with a financial incentive to enroll at less selective colleges. So for federal Pell Grant recipients, the net price for one year at a very selective four-year college is about $4,600 higher than at an open admission four-year college and about $2,500 more than a public four-year college and, of course, about $8,500 more than a community college based on data from the 2015 and 16 NPSAS. 
So for students with family-adjusted gross income of under $30,000, the net price for one year at a very selective four-year college is, get this, about $8,600 higher than at an open admission four-year college and over $12,000 more than a community college. Low-income students and federal Pell Grant recipients at very selective four-year colleges borrow more and are more likely to have a federal work-study job. They are also more likely to have won private scholarships, and the average private scholarship amount is higher, a sign that the private scholarships enable the students to enroll at more selective colleges, despite the higher cost. Students who haven't won private scholarships are less likely to enroll at very selective colleges just because of a lack of sufficient financial resources, which you may have guessed. So this suggests that undermatching is caused at least in part by the higher net price at very selective colleges, even after accounting for the generous financial aid available to low-income students at these colleges. Low-income students enroll at public four-year colleges and community colleges instead of very selective colleges because they're less expensive. That's the bottom line. There are a few other reasons for undermatching too, like limited recruiting. The most selective colleges generally just don't recruit in low-income zip codes, even though they know which students have top SAT and ACT test scores. Another one is early admission favors wealthy students. Low-income students just don't apply early because the binding commitment prevents them from shopping around for a less expensive college. Academic talent is just not enough. The most selective colleges often engage in holistic admissions, which considers more than just academic performance. But low-income students do not have the luxury of participating in extracurricular activities or sports or learning to play a musical instrument. They often have to work one or two part-time jobs because they are the primary wage earners for their families. Oh, the, the other thing is, it's just too much competition. Many colleges with no loans, financial aid policies have opened them to all students, not just low-income students, increasing the competition for spots at these colleges. These policies, which were intended to attract low-income students, end up making it harder, not easier, for low-income students to be accepted. Ugh. With all that said, let's take a look at some solutions for undermatching. One of the most effective solutions to undermatching is to provide students with personalized information about college quality and costs. College quality should be measured based on how well the college matches the student's academic background, career aspirations, and financial need. Financial fit should be measured based on the net price. The idea of undermatching has led to the creation of programs to enable and encourage low-income students to apply to more selective colleges. Here are some examples. The American Talent Initiative, the Coalition for College Application, College Point, Matriculate, and QuestBridge. Part of the purpose of these programs is to provide low-income and first-generation students with personalized college counseling that introduces them to the more selective colleges. This, along with application fee waivers, increases the likelihood that these students will apply and enroll in these colleges. Finally, the most selective colleges need to significantly increase the financial support they provide to low-income students, thereby reducing the net price enough to compete with the lower net price at less selective colleges. In particular, 
Selective colleges need to eliminate the summer work expectation and a minimum student contribution for low-income students. Some advice. If you're a low-income student wanting to go to some of these more selective colleges, low-income students should shop around for the best college based on a combination of financial fit, academic fit, social fit, environment fit, as well as proximity to home. Apply to a balanced mix of colleges, including match, reach, and safety schools, based on a comparison of the student's test scores of the 25th and 75th percentiles for each college, as listed on College Navigator. Also, apply to a financial aid safety school, which is a safety school where the student is likely to be admitted and can afford to enroll, even if they get no financial aid. It's pretty amazing. Use the college's net price calculators to compare the real cost of each college, and this will help you avoid borrowing too much, as a higher net price can lead to more student loan debt. Another tip, and this could be obvious, but study hard in school. Even if you don't want your peers to know that you're smart, (laughs) your academic performance will get your foot in the door to top colleges. Then, your unique experiences will make the colleges pay attention to you and seal the deal. Remember, academic performance isn't everything, especially when applying for admission to the most selective colleges. Pick a single hobby or activity and just dive deep. Depth matters more than breadth. If you don't have the time to explore multiple activities, a single one can suffice if you devote all of your available effort to it. Write an essay about your relationships with other people. The essay doesn't necessarily need to be about overcoming adversity, but rather can illustrate the challenges you face through storytelling. Talk about their influence on you and your influence on them. Also, don't worry too much about getting into every college. If a college doesn't accept you, it's their loss, not yours. You can do well wherever you end up. If you must have a dream school, pick three dream schools. That way, you increase the odds of getting into at least one and being able to afford to enroll. According to the American Freshman Survey conducted annually by UCLA's Higher Education Research Institute, 93% of American freshmen are enrolled in one of their top three choices, like a quarter of students are rejected by their first-choice college. Apply for scholarships. My goodness, apply to as many as you can. That can help you pay for college. Search for scholarships on free scholarship matching services like FastWeb.com and the College Board's Big Future. Beware of scholarship scams, though. They charge a fee to search for scholarships or to apply for scholarships. If you have to pay money to get money, it's a scam, most likely. Consult with your school counselor and other people you respect. They can help steer you to colleges that are a good match for your background and interests. And that is our show for today. A lot of info packed into about 19 minutes. So, you may have gotten lost. Understandable. We have links to everything we talked about today at thecollegeinvestor.com. Copy and paste the name of this podcast into the search bar, and you'll find it and see everything you need to know, including calculators, the College Navigator link, and all kinds of cool stuff. Again, it's thecollegeinvestor.com. Thanks again for stopping by. We'll talk to you again real soon.